I was thinking about uh, this week, I was thinking about how each of these different petitions of the Lord's Prayer hits people differently. I, I think that there are some people that are just instinctively drawn to a phrase like, holy is your name. They're drawn to lift their eyes up, to focus on the worth, the glory of God. Others may be more drawn to pray for their daily needs, deliverance from the powers that are holding them enslaved. And maybe it just depends on the season of life that we're in. Sometimes it just feels like we're living in awareness of a, a tendency to walk away from that never-ending, stopping love of God. And we just return over and over to, like, forgive me my sins and, and help me in this. So it seems to me that people gravitate towards different petitions of the Lord's Prayer. For me, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven is where I often feel particularly drawn. Scott McKnight says that this petition is first and fundamentally about gospel aches. This is the, the ache of our hearts for a world that is broken and the need to see it uh, changed. It is the ache for the story of God to be made complete where God is in all and is all. This is request that the, the story of God, the story where God is creator, Lord, redeemer, and that God's plan for history is all brought up into Jesus, the king who is ruling over the world in perfect love and justice and peace. And so I, I find compelling in that in this earthly request, it is a mandate given to you and to I to work with the king for the reconciliation and the healing of the world. This is a request that stands as the ultimate denial of any Christian theology that, that only cares about getting souls into heaven. It, it, it reveals the deficiency of any teaching or theology that God's kingdom is purely a heavenly realm separated from a good earth. Here we see that heaven and earth are the two arenas in which God's good world interact together. We see that the story of God, in the story of God, that the day is coming when God's kingdom comes from heaven to earth and God will reign here with his people. This request in the prayer is a rejection of a theology or Christianity that denies the very real and political aspects of the work of Jesus. The teaching and life and death and resurrection of Jesus are not just a nice spiritual teaching not some eternal truths, not just about getting souls into heaven. When we pray that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven, we are asking that something would actually happen here in this time and this place. What's more, for the first followers of Jesus, when they looked at this prayer, they saw it as answered in the light of the resurrection of Jesus. They made these amazing claims that this prayer request that God's kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven had actually been answered in Jesus and in his resurrection. The first followers of Jesus and all of those of us who follow in, these, in their footsteps are invited to believe that God's kingdom has come, that God's will has been done, that on that Easter morning, heaven and earth came together, that the prophecies of God to release the captives, to defeat evil, and that the coming of God's power and justice in the form of that gentle shepherd who rescues his sheep has indeed happened. And so N.T. Wright says, Jesus' first followers didn't think for a moment that the kingdom meant simply some new religious advice. 
an improved spirituality, a better code of morals, or a freshly crafted theology. They held to a stronger, more dangerous claim. They believed that the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, that the whole cosmos had turned the corner from darkness to light. Now, obviously, we all know that this raises some obvious questions for us. Like, if God's kingdom has come and the whole universe has turned the corner from dark to light, why do we still face injustice? Why is there still hunger? Why is there still guilt? Why is there still evil in the world? What's so interesting is that the the early Christians refused to evade that hard question. They refused to talk about a new spiritual experience that leads us into God's kingdom in heaven, not on earth. Instead, the early Christians went on praying and living the Lord's Prayer, and they would tell us to do the same. And so Cyprian uh, writes about 150 years after Jesus, and he says, And so we pray daily, or rather unceasingly, the prayer that the will of God be done around us, both in heaven and on earth, because it is because it is the will of God that earthly things should yield to heavenly. It is the will of God that earthly things should yield to heavenly, that spiritual and godly should prevail. So what does it mean for us then to pray your kingdom come today? I was telling Greg before the service that N.T. Wright in his tiny little book, The Lord and His Prayer, is just fantastic and so I just keep going back to that. N.T. Wright says, to pray the prayer today, it means for a start that as we look in the face of our Father in heaven and commit ourselves to hallowing his name, that we, need, we look immediately out upon the whole world that he made and we see it as he sees it. We are praying as Jesus was praying and acting for the redemption of the world, for the radical defeat and uprooting of evil, and for heaven and earth to be married at last, for God to be all and in all. And then he says, we pray this way, and if we pray this way, we must, of course, be be prepared to live this way. So as we pray for the world, we also pray it, of course, for the church. But this cannot simply mean that we want God to sort out our messes and muddles, and so the church can be a cozy place without problems and pains. We can only pray this prayer for the church if we are prepared to mean, make us kingdom bearers. Make us a community of healed healers. And so this is not a prayer that we pray and then we shrug and we hope that God will just sort it all out. It is not a prayer of resignation. It is a prayer of subversion and conversion. You see, I I don't think Prayer is just about our minds and our souls and our hearts. It is not simply a spiritual action. Prayer is the way of Jesus. It also touches our bodies. And our bodies are not untouched or irrelevant to prayer. Prayer is not a magic formula to ask God to act on our behalf. Prayer also changes us. And if I'm praying for God's kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven, I must ask that the God's kingdom would come in me as it is in heaven. And then as I look out into the world, it means I must see the world as Jesus sees the world. 
And so I was reminded this week of the Gospel of Matthew. I was reminded of the time in Matthew 9 when Jesus sees the crowd and Matthew tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion and so he gave himself to those people. Matthew 15, again, we see Jesus sees hungry people and he says, I feel compassion for them because they have remained with me three days and they have nothing to eat. And so he prayed and he fed. Matthew 20, when Jesus heals the blind and we are told that Jesus was moved with compassion in verse 34. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, we see that Jesus sees the world and as God's Jesus sees the world as God sees the world, and Jesus is moved with compassion for the needs of those around them and is moved to respond to their physical and spiritual needs. Jesus is moved with compassion and grieves over its brokenness. He's moved for compassion to feed the hungry, comfort the afflicted, and heal the sick. So prayer is not only a spiritual act, it also motivates us to respond to the needs of those around us with the compassion of Jesus. So Menno Simons was a Catholic priest in the 1500s who eventually left the Catholic Church over theological differences, became a prominent Anabaptist theologian, and it's where we get our name Mennonite from. He famously wrote this. He says, true event... There's a song, too. I don't know if anybody was uh, ever around Bethany College when Phil Siebert was the choir director. He sang, true evangelical faith does not lie sleeping. Does anyone know the song? Okay, anyway... <laughs> I'll, I'll read his writing, not sing it. <clears throat> Menno Simons wrote, True evangelical faith is of such a nature that it cannot lie dormant, but it spreads itself out in all kinds of righteousness and fruits of love. It dies to flesh and blood. It destroys all lusts and forbidden desires. It seeks, serves, and fears God in its inmost soul. It clothes the naked. It feeds the hungry, it comforts the sorrowful, it shelters the destitute, it aids and consoles the sad, it does good to those who do it harm, it serves those that harm it, it prays for those who persecute it, it teaches, admonishes, and judges us with the word of the Lord, it seeks those who are lost, it binds up the wounded, it heals the sick, it saves what is strong, it becomes all things to all people. The persecution, suffering, and anguish that come to it for the sake of the Lord's truth have become a glorious joy and comfort to it. Contained in that quote are 17 statements that Menno Simons envisioned the embodied faith of those who follow Jesus. Or more concisely, Menno Simons said, genuine faith is always expressed through radical service to the needy. This is what it means to pray the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. Mano Simons taught his followers that our faith is one to be of radical service and care for those in need. And Anabaptists have taken this seriously for hundreds of years. They have sought to live out the words of Jesus when Jesus spoke to them. And the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it for me. You can see this in our own MB Confession of Faith. Uh, Article 5 of our MB Confessions on Salvation, it says, All who receive Christ are born again and have peace with God and are called to love one another and live at peace with their neighbor. Article 7, which talks about the mission of the church, he says, We believe the good news of God's salvation in Jesus Christ is for all people. Christ commands the church to make disciples of all nations by calling people to repent and by baptizing and teaching them to obey Jesus. 
Jesus teaches that disciples are to love God and neighbor by telling the good news and by doing acts of love and compassion. Article 12 talks about our relationship to society and the state. How do we relate to our government? It says, Christians cooperate with others in society to defend the weak, care for the poor, promote justice and righteousness and truth. Article 13, which is our statement on love and non-resistance, says that we are called to alleviate suffering, reducing strife, and promoting justice are ways of demonstrating Christ's love. And then Article 14, which speaks of the sanctity of human life. It says, We believe that all human life belongs to God. Each person is created in the image of God and ought to be celebrated and nurtured. Because God is the creator and author of life, we oppose all actions and attitudes which devalue human life. Over and over again, from the time of Jesus through the early Anabaptist Mennonite history to our current confession of faith, we see that to pray this prayer is to activate our imagination for what God can and is doing around us. The universe has turned the corner from dark to light, but it is also to join with King Jesus to bring about more of God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, to express even more light and goodness of Jesus. We live a practical faith, one that involves our bodies and our spirits. Our hope is not that we will escape earth, but that God's good world will find a full healing and redemption in Jesus. And as we live in that tension between already and not yet, we join with God until that time is complete. Amen.